Hey guys, Lena here in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, I'm Alina Ebuchamra from Living with Power Ministries. This is a podcast uh, that is sort of a branch of the ministry, and uh, our goal every week is to talk about uh, topics that pertain to life and culture in light of biblical uh, perspective and a biblical worldview. So if you're tuning in for the first time, welcome. Uh, I don't know how you landed here, but I believe with all my heart that God led you to this podcast today and if you have been here before we welcome you back and uh anytime during the podcast if you feel compelled to ask a question make a comment send me an email at lena l-i-n-a at livingwithpower.org livingwithpower.org lena at livingwithpower.org anyway i um we've been in this series called difficult conversations and um it's been an interesting series first episode was an interview with my friend latoya talked about christians and racism uh, I've addressed topics like Christians and politics and Christians and the LGBTQ movement. And today I want to talk about Christians and the Syrian refugee crisis. Everybody is talking about Syrian refugees. I feel like I'm talking about Syrian refugees every time I turn my head. Uh, I feel like I have a, you know, some social media post. or uh, I, I never thought in my life that I'd be connected to this particular issue to this extent. Yet it's the most logical thing once I tell you my story. In fact, that's what I want to do today. Um, I always have a few points to go over with you. I, that's why I am going to do that today. But first, I'm going to tell you a bit of my story. And honestly, I feel like every couple of minutes I'm talking about the Syrian refugees. But it's uh, in, on one hand, part of me is like, man, I keep telling them the same thing. Uh, part of me is like, you can't say it enough. And uh, you, I know that many of you who listen um, to this podcast come from, we talked last week about uh, Christians and politics, and there's people from both sides of the political spectrum, and some of you automatically are like, yay, 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 go refugees, and others are like, dude, you don't even know what you're talking about. Um, we'll get to all of that. I, I really just want to start by telling you a bit about my background. I am Lebanese. Um, that's uh, a people group in the Middle East. Uh, our country, Lebanon, is a small 10,000 square kilometer country between uh, in the north and, and towards the east, Syria, and then in the south, uh, Israel. And it's a very strategic location right on the Mediterranean, Mediterranean Sea, a very beautiful land. I was born, though, uh, about a year or so before a big civil war erupted. So all of my growing up years in Beirut were in the war. Uh, in fact, we moved in 1987. I was 15 years old at the time. And the entirety of my childhood years are really tainted by the war. Still, just love my country where I was born and um, have some fond, fond memories, despite how difficult the situation was. Now, I want to tell you a bit about, about some of the difficulties. So we had the civil war going on in Lebanon where pretty, pretty, pretty much every religious faction was fighting against the next religious faction. So this was ongoing, this inner turmoil. But then from the outside, we also had the stress of pressure from the south. Israel would occasionally you know, press us because of some of the increasing you know, political unrest in the south. So they would come in and establish their you know, strength. And then, of course, Syria in the north. And over the 15 to 20 years that that war went on, the increasing sentiment uh, of the Lebanese was uh, dislike of the Syrian who were trying to take over our land. And as a matter of fact, we left in 1987, and uh, in the early 90s, Syria did come in and occupy us. So it would not be an uncommon sight up until the 2000s that I went back and visited uh, in the early 2000s, 10 years after the war stopped. And uh, it would not be uncommon for us to stop at military checkpoints that were run by the Syrians. And so now understand, Lebanon is a very independent, very... Um, proud people now ruled by the Syrian so that uh, the sentiments against the Syrian were deep and uh, and, and strong and uh, not in a good way <coughs> and so somewhere in the mid 1990s uh, Lebanon fought back and we regained our uh, independence so to speak uh, and, uh, and 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 the Syrians were exited from Lebanon and over the years uh, peace ensued and right now Lebanon is a very peaceful place uh, 
again, with, with, with a lot of guardedness against the outsiders uh, from the north and from the south for obvious reasons. So, so, so in 2012, uh, something started, I think, in the 2010 to 2012 range. Uh, something really unexpected happened. Here was Syria, who was run by uh, al-Assad. He is, was really a dictator there, is still um, sort of a, you know, the, the figurehead there. But, um, but, but what happened over those years is that uh, there was a revolution inside the country and an and opposition force, and uh, all hell broke loose. And uh, Syria, as we know it, became in the forefront of the news, and the land there has become uh, basically unbearable to live in. Not just that, but, but, but horrific to live in, so that millions of people have left Syria in an effort to seek asylum. And the, um, the horrific atrocities that have been seen in, in Syria, I, I don't think any of us have an idea of what uh, exactly has happened there. Some run by ISIS, obviously, we all have seen on the news the choppings of Christians' heads to, you know, all the torture that can happen. Of course, if you're a woman there, um, you know, all of the abuse and the just horrific, horrific things that have taken place there so that um, uh, many could not leave if, they, if their lands, you know, if their villages were barred, but many were given the option to leave or you die. And so, so, uh, whether by choice or, or not, many millions had to leave Syria. And the logical places where they left were the countries that were in the immediate um, vicinity. So the, the country that took the most refugees is Turkey, and I think Jordan and Lebanon, those are the top three hands down. Lebanon became home to over a million Syrian refugees. Now, I gave you the history of my land and the war and what happened there. So just to give you a feel of, imagine your enemy is... Uh, ruling you, then you get them out of there, you hate them, basically, and now a million of their people are in your land. Some living in apartments, uh, some maybe had been there from the war, had some lands there, but others just basically walking across the border for, you know, basically across peril and turmoil in order to find safety and landed in the Baqa Valley, um, right across the mountain range uh, from Syria to Lebanon, where they set up tents and uh, some, you know, they had to purchase them from the UN. Nothing is given to them for free. And basically a tarp and a stick housing millions of people. And um, and so that was sort of the background. Enter Lena. So here I moved to Green Bay, Wisconsin, probably one of the most peaceful towns in the United States of America with a Super Bowl team. I mean, like really an idyllic town in many ways. Were it not for the weather, I don't know that there is a better place to live than Green Bay, Wisconsin. And, and years go by and I establish a ministry here in the U.S. and feel called to serve the Lord. And, and the last thing on my mind and my agenda was to go back to any sort of ministry in the Middle East. I was done. I'm American. I feel American. I act American. Any of you know me know that I have the personality of a Westerner and I'm a puzzle to my people in the Middle East. But... Um, but uh, about four years ago, three or four years ago, I hit a crossroad in my own life and ministry. I had left a job at a church and uh, sort of um, wasn't sure where the ministry would go. And in that season, I, um, you know, I, I started praying. I actually thought my ministry was sort of done. I wasn't sure what God could do. I, I was in a pretty well-connected church, and I guess my identity was so... Uh, entrenched with that church that I felt like if I left that church my ministry was basically dead which is a silly thing to think because God's not dead I mean they made two movies about that right <laughs> and, uh, uh, and the truth of it is um, that crossroad was the birth of a new form of ministry as a matter of fact that was when today's single Christian started I was at that crossroad when Moody approached me I would never have had time to do today's single Christian on the radio if I was still uh, heavily involved in the church world. But it was also around that time that a friend of mine challenged me to do a podcast in Arabic. So this was really a big step of faith since I grew up in an American church. My prayer language, my faith language was um, 
really in uh, English. I never read the Bible in Arabic, never prayed in Arabic. It felt unnatural for me to do that. But something about her challenge really resonated with me. And I felt like it was from the Lord. I felt like there was something there. I knew there were a lot of, you know, Arabic speaking people in the U.S., coming, traveling, moving. And I thought, well, you know what? If I can't serve in the American church, maybe God can open a door with um, the Arabs. And so that was sort of my thought. And I did it. Uh, and, and I just laugh now. I mean, some of you who have heard the Arabic podcasts, uh, I mean, you know, they're rough to say the least. But but I plowed on and week after week for one year, I did this Arabic podcast unknowing what God had in the horizon. But I, I, it was a year of training. I stopped them after a year, honestly, because I just felt like time was up in that. But in that year, uh, God started unfolding a ministry in the Middle East, which uh, took on a couple of different um, venues. First of all, I, um, I traveled back. I started looking. I started asking the question, God, what could you have me do here? I mean, I, I just was looking for ways to serve the Lord. I don't know how you function, but that's sort of how I function in my Christian world is, is I'm not, God doesn't always send me messages, but I sort of explore an area. And if the door seems open, very much like the Acts Church, Paul would try to go somewhere. And if God didn't want him to go, he'd shut the door. And it's sort of been my philosophy in ministry. So I went, I took a couple of trips to the Middle East. I went to Jordan. And, and when we went to Jordan with a team, it was really a vision setting um, trip. And I, I just got to know a bit more what's happening with the Syrian refugees. Uh, we were not able to go into the camps there because they're uh, barricaded. You have to basically get like a note from a president to make it in there. It's very hard to get in. And so the door just, I, I don't know, I just didn't feel like, you know, I wasn't sure what we could do in Jordan. And then I took a trip on my own to Lebanon, which resulted basically in uh, a project that would get two of my books translated into Arabic. And then a year later, I would go to Lebanon and teach a conference in Arabic to singles. We did that. It was amazing. And it was during that trip that I, on a whim, I thought, you know, I wonder what's going on in Lebanon with the Syrian refugees. Now, you understand with what I told you about Lebanon, I mean, the Lebanese are not lining up to give food and housing to the Syrians. You know, they just basically are trying to peacefully coexist. And, um, you know, they're, it, it, it's, it's complicated, I guess, politically speaking in Lebanon. But, um, but many are doing work with them. And, and I met a man who's a pastor of a church, jihad who basically uh, showed me what they were doing in, in the Bekaa Valley. And it was incredible. I couldn't believe it. I knew the moment I saw it, this was a place where I, I just saw it. I could set up medical and dental. I have a friend who's a, a couple, they're dentists um, who basically do work in the, in the, in the Middle East and, and they're American, they're out of Grand Rapids, uh, John and Rosa Vanderkolk. And basically I said, guys, this is our place. They'd never seen it. They'd never been to Lebanon, but they believed me. They knew me enough from traveling with them to Jordan that they trusted my judgment and I'm telling you it's a gift because uh, basically they gathered up 10 people and we took off and, and went uh, a few months later and set up our first medical clinic at that church which is really a huge operation they run a school for 300 let me actually tell you a bit about this ministry that's going on there it's called True Vine Church and it's um, it's it's a miraculous story of how this church basically got established there but uh, the, the pastor is Lebanese, and he'll tell you himself, he says he used to hate Syrians. His general sense against Syrians was not one of friendliness, it was one of hate. And uh, his ministry was to the Lebanese. And, and years before the refugees came to Lebanon, he was called by a group of eight men who had gathered together and decided they wanted to find out about God. And they connected with him. I don't know how they got his name. And they said, would you come out to Zahle? That's the town where he works. And says, would you come and meet with us? We want to hear about God. 
And he said, sure. He showed up and 50 people were waiting for him in an apartment. And that basically started that church. They met in an apartment for a year or two. I don't know how many years. And uh, they became too big for the apartment. And so started looking for a church building. Didn't have any money, any funds. Saw a piece of land. Thought that would potentially work. Um, put a bid on it. But it was, that was like a tenth of, of what they were asking. Uh, initially were laughed at. Came back around. Given the church. Uh, you know, it's funny. When the when the, uh, when the the guy who owned the land it's called the pastor back. says, hey, we, we, we'll take it. We'll take the offer that you gave us uh, the pastor like that's amazing news and his very next you know breath was like now we have to find the money i mean that's how simple these people were and uh, and of course god provided miraculously uh, the money that they needed and, and 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 in that time again many of the people that were coming to the church some were christian some were muslim background people but they were giving their life to the lord and there was something special happening even the pastor tells you there was something very special happening in that church there was a sort of sense of revival a sense of deep working of the holy spirit and uh, like after they bought that land, uh, the next door neighbor knew about this project and is an architect and is not a Christian and contacted the pastor and says, you know, it's been my dream to build a church my whole life. If I could do one thing as an architect, that's what I'd like to do. Would you agree to have me build your church? That's how that church got built. It ended up being a huge, you know, air uh, building that houses a worship center and then um, a dorm that they now use as a housing for visitors like us and uh, they have a floor that's just two floors that are the school they have they have a school for Syrian uh, refugee kids I think they have 300 students that they can accommodate right now and then they have um, a fourth floor that's like a used a multi-purpose room that's the fourth floor is the one we use for the medical and the dental clinic it's just one big space that we can um, kind of divide up and, and do the clinics there and so um, we went and, <coughs> and I mean we were I mean th this church is doing other things I mean they have a distribution center where they give out food and clothes to the Syrian refugees and they also have um, now they're they're building playgrounds in the tent area so Lebanon is unique unlike Jordan Jordan has uh, like most of the camps are enclosed the country wants to protect their people so they have them kind of there's literally a wall around them uh, whereas in Lebanon, the tents are just there. And so the church, so, so here's this pastor who starts this church who doesn't even like Syrians, but uh, God starts changing his heart. And uh, the day, they literally, like the, the guy at, uh, agrees to build the church, you know, they, they get the architect who builds the church. And literally, like the next Sunday, the refugees start coming into, like they start meeting there, the, the church gets built, they start meeting there, and then the next Sunday, the refugees start trickling into Lebanon. So think about the timing, God's perfect timing. In fact, when he tells the story, it's even, I mean, I'm telling it like third hand, and already I'm not a great storyteller. I'm always like, yeah, there are a bunch of people who are doing a bunch of things. People are like, well, what? I don't know. You know, God answered a lot of prayers. It's all good. But basically, um, they literally were meant to stay in an apartment for another year was their plan they were not in a hurry to move into the church but like on one day the guy who owns the apartment where the church was meeting said to them sorry guys i just sold the apartment i gotta boot you out and like they started meeting in the basement of this new building it wasn't even done when they met there and like the next week the syrians started coming to lebanon and so here you know hundreds of thousands of syrians are coming into lebanon there's a huge need and so here's this pastor who's now uh, clearly instructed by god like you got to do something about this and the pastor, of course, early in, the, in those days, had a kind of had to have it out with God, and and was like, look, they they had taken our lands, and how do you do this? And 
And the essence, the long and short of it is God changed his heart and he started meeting these people and fell in love with them. And um, now, like he never would have predicted, he never would have predicted, just like I'm telling you, I never predicted that I'd go back to Lebanon and do medical and dental clinics in Lebanon for the people that used to be our enemy. Same thing with him. Like he tells you the story and the work he's doing there. I mean, I show up one week, you know, three or four times a year. This guy lives there and his people, and they have this ministry. They have four services, I think, on Sundays. I mean, one of the services is backed out like 99% Syrian Muslim people who are coming to the church to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached. Many of them show up to the church to get there. In fact, they don't even come to the church anymore to get the distribution. They go to the center, but they understand that this is part of the church. And somehow they, you know, people come end up coming to the church to sign up for the distribution center. They see many of them. They'll tell you the testimony. They see a prayer meeting going on. They'll hear a worship, you know, meeting going on. And they're like, man, what is going on here? And they're so drawn by the love of Christ in that building that they keep coming back for more. And many, many, like thousands have given their life to Christ, ex-Muslims who are now born-again Christians. And so so you start hearing these stories and you start seeing these lives. You start talking. I, I'm, you know, I'm privileged to be Arabic-speaking so that I can hear a lot of the testimonies firsthand. It, it, it is unbelievable. Like, I can't even relate to you the experience of seeing God work up close and personal to such an extent. And to give you an idea where God strategically put, put this church, literally it's a two-minute, five-minute walk to the tents, you know, like like those tents that you see on my Instagram and my Facebook and in the videos that I show you. Uh, it's literally walking distance from this church. The pastor never thought, oh, it'd be great to have a church strategically built next to those. And he wasn't even looking to serve the Syrian refugees. If anything, he didn't like the Syrians. And yet God put him in the center, in the epicenter of what was happening. And so over the past four or five years, um, his ministry, because of his leadership, because of all that God has done, really has attracted many, many donors and many, many funders. And they have never sought to raise funds. Never, he'll tell you, he's never sought to raise funds. And now it's, it's a, of course, a hugely um, fruitful ministry in every regard. And so God is blessing, but most importantly, God is using, but most importantly, God is changing lives. And it's incredible. I can't even tell you. I've, I mean, I go to a conference and I teach the gospel and I see people put their faith in Christ and it just is the best thing. That is why I do what I do. And to see it times a thousand in people who you would have never thought, like you'll see a church full of hijabed women who are hungry to hear the gospel. And if that doesn't move you, it is truly the things that are happening in that church, the miracles, the healings, the visions, how God's dealing with the Muslim people is very unique, I believe, um, because it is a closed you know, faith. They don't let people come in and evangelize. And so the fact that the Syrians are now in Lebanon in a place where there is freedom, Lebanon is unusual in the Middle East in that it is a, still a very open country, a very free country who values freedom. And um, it, it's just incredible. And so I, I have had a chance. So after I went and visited the site, basically I ended up taking a medical trip uh, with a team. We did two dental, two dentists came and a couple of doctors and we ran the clinics and it was a huge success and we knew we wanted to go back. So we went back for a second time in January and we're planning to go quarterly at this point. We really believe God will have us do a work there. And our work is essentially, I mean, we've done a couple of things. We've set up the clinics at the church. People have come to us. And we, um, the last time I was there, I actually went into the tents and did a clinic there. Uh, our biggest needs is medications. I mean, we basically do a lot of medication refills for people who have no funds, who are on chronic meds. 
uh, I had a woman show up in the last clinic who is an insulin, uh, who her son is a 14 year old insulin dependent diabetic and they ran out of insulin like two days before. And I'm thinking like, what, I get him a week's worth of insulin? Like then what? Like the guy's dead, like it's, it's just crazy. And so, you know, some of the stuff we're doing is, is seems like it's so overwhelming to think, how do you, how do you meet that need? And so, um, I mean, we do anything from, okay, someone comes in with a headache and a cold, no big deal, but then asthmatics who need albuterol. I mean, if you have asthma, you understand how necessary this medication is, but now you got nothing. Your houses were burned down. You're already not super rich to begin with. Everything you have has been taken away. You're living in a tarp, basically, and uh, you've got a buttload of like blood pressure meds and cardiac meds or, or a son with an insulin dependence or, um, or an asthmatic that has to go to the pharmacy, pay a fee to get one NEB treatment. That's how they get the nebulized treatments. It's crazy. And so we just have a chance to do a little bit to help. And we pray, my prayer, my hope is to do more. My prayer, my hope is to set up a, a clinic there that we can staff somebody there and we can continue to leave medications there and grow that, that body of, of our ability to be able to help in that particular location. And, and if God so wills and, and much funding is raised, maybe set up more clinics in, in other areas, in Jordan and in Iraq and in, and in those areas that uh, have um, Turkey and Greece, wherever the need might be. But for now... I think you go where God points you and you stay uh, there and, um, and until he points you elsewhere. And so this has really been the plan. It hasn't been much of a plan. It's just been going where God says. And, and uh, the ease uh, with which this has really developed has been uncanny. Uh, to be back in my own country is helpful. To speak the language is extremely helpful. <coughs> to have relationships on the ground. I mean, all, there's so many ways that you look at it and go, man, this is a God thing. Um, now, why am I telling you all this? I've spent 20 minutes giving you my story. Obviously, there's a lot of dynamics. I, uh, I'm, I'm of a people that would have normally hated the Syrians. I mean, that's my, what I bring to the table, and yet here I am serving them. And not just serving them, but excited about it and can't wait to do more. That is not normal. That is not a human thing. That is a God thing. And, um, and you know, it's funny. I, 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 I've been thinking, you know, I, as, as I've watched this conversation um, about how you know how many immigrants or how many refugees should be allowed in the United States and part of me is so like I can't help but roll my eyes a bit because well let me let me also preface it by saying this um I am traditionally a conservative in my political views in every way like dude I think people I was saying at the beginning of the podcast sometimes people hear oh you like refugees therefore you might be you must be an extreme liberal I'm not actually I'm quite conservative and uh, but I am of that of that group of conservatives who really sees this issue as an issue of life, not of politics. In fact, I want to give you just three kind of thought uh, thoughts on this whole thing to wrap things up. Um, as it comes to Christians and refugee crisis, I think, number one, it's about people, not politics. And I think the minute you make it a, a political issue, you've lost. Um, it, you cannot look at this millions of people who have fled their countries. By the way, when you hear them tell stories, I mean, the things that these people have seen, their children have seen. One one um, group of refugees we talked with last time I was there says that they were in a village that was ruled by ISIS. These were Muslims, by the way. They're not even like they're not like Christians who are persecuted. These are Muslims who were persecuted. Um, ISIS wanted to establish a presence so much they would chop people's heads off and put them on stakes around fences in the city to remind the people of their power. This is what those kids grew up watching. And by some miracle, of course, they evade the city. So they walk across eight, ten hours across the mountain region to Lebanon. Now they're living, this family that told me these stories, they're living in chicken coops, literally a chicken coop that has been changed into um, sort of a housing. So a fam each family lives in a different chicken coop. And I took pictures of those the last trip I was there. It's just incredibly, it's just... I mean, it was like one of those National Geographic moments, but except it's it's so much more than that because you're like, these are people. 
These are people. These are not a photo op. These are not. There was men and women inside the chicken coops who were in such PTSD, you know, post-traumatic shock. They could, they're just rocking, staring into nothing, and, and the families will tell you they're just in too much shock for what they've seen. And so, um, so, so for us to talk about this issue as if it's a political issue, and as, as Christians, and I'm really talking to Christians here, and forget that these are people. We've missed it. You've already. That's it. We're, we've lost it. Remember Jesus when he was up in the mountain, pre, you know, preaching to people and, and they got hungry. It says that he saw the crowd and he had compassion on them. And I think the minute that we stop seeing that, that we see meals to be served, that we see issues to be resolved, um, policies to be established, we have lost. We have stepped away from who Jesus is. And um, and I, I think that's been kind of the biggest take-home message to me. I've yet to meet a refugee who hasn't struck me as um, just someone who has been completely mistreated but who's really resilient and trying to make the most of their life and 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 some of them are coming to know jesus and others will come to know jesus listen jesus cares about the downcast and he cares about those who are mistreated and he is making his way known to them and uh, and i'm seeing the light of christ in people and then when you hear the story when when the ones the men and women who are converting when you hear their stories I, I'm telling you, I, I dare you to hear a story of an ex-Muslim or a person who didn't know the Lord, who comes to know the Lord and is radically transformed by Jesus. I, I dare you, I dare you to not want to like give everything you have to help this people because it is a people group who has nowhere to go. And so here we are in the United States talking about politics and policies and, and vetting and all of those things. And, and what's laughable to me on a high note, like if you were like, well, how many people is the U.S. trying to take? Even if you were extremely generous and used the 50,000 refugees, which is not true, I think we're trying... 25,000 is the number that I've heard of bringing in refugees, but let's just say 50,000. Like here we are patting ourselves on the back thinking, man, we're so awesome, when in fact, that's nothing. There's millions, millions, three to five million people. So what we're saying, oh, we're going to cover 25,000 of them? And here we are arguing over that? Like, (laughs) it's so laughable. Like, even if we took 50, even if we took 100,000, it is nothing. What? Like, you know, think about the magnitude of this crisis. And people are kind of, you know, I've heard a lot of people will like, send it back to Syria. Uh, Where? First of all, okay, let's work on that. Let the nations come together and work on getting peace in Syria, which is, by the way, uh, 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 good luck with that. But let's just say you did that. And now how do you get these people back to their homes? I hear people say, well, yeah, now that they've been out, they never want to go back. That is not true. They've lost everything and they would go back. They just, where would they go back? And so think about the ramifications of that. I had a flood in my house to, in 2012. I have insurance. I live in Mount Prospect, Illinois, in suburbia in America. And, and, and my house is not huge, but when it got destroyed by this flood, I was devastated. I'm telling you, I was devastated. And I knew the insurance would cover it. And for two months, I would live in it. Like I moved to the basement. Uh, or I, like there was two or three days I had to leave my house and then I came to the house and they all thought I was crazy because I stayed in the house while they were doing all the fixings and when they finished the basement I moved to the basement and when they didn't, you know I kept doing this sort of dance and it was hell for two months and uh, I've written about it in, in many of my books because uh, there's nothing worse than that feeling of being homeless or displaced and I wasn't even homeless and displaced and I had insurance to cover the cost you see do you understand how detrimental that episode was to me I met at the time 2012 was a flood in Chicago where many Americans in Chicago were hit by that and and I met some and there was a woman in my church her and her kids were displaced and they had nowhere to go and they were given an apartment and and yet they were in the U.S. and they had means considering you know and they were still devastated and she's still a friend of mine and and yet God used that experience to draw her to him but but you see we understand in in a very superficial way what it looks like to lose everything if you've had friends who have lost their homes to arson um you really, I mean, it's one thing to talk about it in kind of out there, irrelevant to me, but then something happens to you and you lose everything and you realize, 
man, I, I get it. I get it. And and these are people, not politics. I think the minute we start talking about the Syrian refugee crisis as politics, we've lost. That's number one. Number two, it's spiritual, not social. It really is a spiritual matter, I think, for the Christian. Don't be fooled. This is not a social issue. We are so good at just plugging away on social media, giving our opinions. Uh, we've lost perspective. We've reverted to panic. The biggest um, kind of perspective that I hear as to why we should support Donald Trump's you know, ban of whether it's people or Muslims or whoever, whatever, I don't even care what the rhetoric is. I think the biggest logic, you know, the biggest logical conclusion that I've come to is that people are afraid. They're afraid they want to be safe and they want to protect the country. Um, and, and, and I respect that, but I think that is a perspective that's driven by panic and that is missing the sovereignty of God. And for us to really, first of all, it's not factual. Like our risk of being um, terrorized by refugees is so low. I don't even, I tell you, I don't care about numbers, but I know that I've read enough to know that it is an extremely infinitesimally low number that we have a higher risk of like dying uh, from a hangnail than we do from a terrorist attack from a refugee. And, and furthermore, they're vetting these people who are coming in. And uh, I mean, I think, you know, I don't want to get into all of this discussion, but, but this really, our sentiments are driven out of panic. We've lost perspective that God is sovereign and in control and that our safety really is belongs to him. And of course we need to be logical, but like, think about it. Every time we get on a plane, we don't know who we, we, wait, wait, go. I go through the TSA lines and I watch them when they start, you know, searching people that you're like, you see it. I mean, I'll see a TSA officer searching a three-year-old kid, like head to toe. And you want to be like, dude, have you lost perspective? That's the same thing in my opinion as to what's happening with vetting the refugees. I mean, I think that, that we've lost perspective and, um, and I think we need to be careful. This is a spiritual issue, not a social issue. This is a chance for us to show who we are in Christ. Remember the picture of Jesus having compassion on the crowds. This is our chance to light up in the world, um, to, 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 to yell to the world that, that our God is sovereign, that he gives us safety, that our safety is not driven by people who, you know, policymakers in our country, and I know those of you who are listening who disagree with me are like, man, but you got to start with that. Look what happened in 9-11. And listen, I'm afraid to tell you, but more terrorist attacks will happen whether or not you bring in refugees. Like The fact is we're living in an evil world. It will only get worse until Jesus comes back. If you read the Bible to any degree of truthfulness, you will understand that, that we are not going to get better until Jesus comes back. Things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse, like a woman in travail until finally Jesus comes back to the earth and rules again and, and and he's ruling now in the big sense but when he rules here on this earth it will happen again it's just a matter of time and the closer we are to his second coming many of you love to say jesus is coming back well if he's coming back which i believe he is things are going to get worse before they get better and that's okay we as christians should not play up this political game but should understand who people are and should keep perspective a spiritual perspective um driven not by our wallets but but by our hearts not by social media tweets but by our knees on the ground in prayer and uh, trusting God to guide and direct our leaders, trusting God to guide and direct our safety and living in that place of peace. And so the third, so it's not about people, it's, it's not about politics, it's about people. Secondly, it's, it's not social, it's spiritual. And thirdly, it's uh, not an obstacle, it's an opportunity. I went, and this is it, I'm going to wrap up in the next minute or two. Basically, I went through all of the story of the pastor in that church and, and how I ended up in the Middle East. Again, my least expected of all my family members. I, I don't think, I was probably the worst candidate <coughs> of all my siblings to go back to Lebanon. It just wasn't even in my radar. I didn't want to do it. 
and have a desire to do it and yet to go and help Syrians even worse um, you know that even a, the scenario that no one could have predicted and yet um, here I am and it, and it's because I uh, see the opportunity I'm telling you God is at work in the Middle East in a way that we have not seen in a long time what he's doing in the hearts of people if you're listening and you're like man I feel a bit called to ministry and by the way this is where I'm going to challenge you at the end uh, it, it, it doesn't matter what happens here. The president, uh, the Congress, the Senate, they might say, no, not a single foreigner can be admitted to the U.S. from now until eternity. It doesn't matter. The point is we can go to them. This is why I keep going. Many of you are sitting around going, man, I wish I could do something to help Syrian refugees. You can. You can. First of all, some are coming. And here, even in Chicago, I have friends who minister regularly to Syrian refugee families. They go pray with them. They welcome them into apartments. My friend Kathy Woods, she's doing a work, man. She's the least, like she's the most demure and American blonde ex sweet person and she goes and ministers and tells me what she does and it's incredible and um, and so there are things you can do here in the US but but even like I said even if not a single refugee was ever admitted back into our country uh, some of you Millennials who are listening who want to change the world they need teachers in those countries they need they need workers they need people to help in the ministry in discipleship the church that I'm a part of this church that I'm connected with and partnering with they have discipleship classes they have discipleship in the tents they have them at the church they have them in people's homes on a daily basis morning evening one of our guys Yusuf who's doing who's leading in the discipleship programs I mean he's at till midnight intense talking to people about Jesus I mean what is happening there is honestly unparalleled to anything that we have seen here in the United States so uh, you can give financially I know that we I feel like sometimes we are like oh she wants his money not frankly I don't want a dollar of your money that's why I still work as a doctor because I support myself but there is a need and the need right now for us in my ministry in living with power nonprofit ministry is to provide medications and dental care to this people group that we have been privileged to serve and if you want to come alongside us you can help with that um, there's, um, there's there are ways that you can serve it with your own bodies you know go to be the church and there are ways where you can serve I think primarily this is probably I know you I know we say it and it sounds so cliche but pray 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 for us pray if you don't have a dollar that you can give pray that God provides for us pray that God somehow opens the windows of heavens and pours out he's look he owns everything he is the one who provides for all of our needs so we don't have any fear the work that he wants us to do he'll make a way for us to do but I wanted to kind of to I know this is sort of a weird take on a difficult conversation um, but I just wanted to put some maybe some humanness to this issue and um I, I, that's it really I don't I don't have any big takeaways other than if you want to find out what's happening go to livingwithpower.org click on global or just livingwithpower.org backslash global and you'll see a video there that uh, we put together on the last trip that gives you an idea of our heart and what's happening you'll see every child that you see in that video is a Syrian refugee basically every one of them that most of them look like normal kids that could be in your schools here and um uh, if you want to just find out more, if you're in the medical field, we're looking for eye doctors. We'd love to take an eye doctor with us, OB, somebody who does female um, care, anyone who's good with ultrasound. We'd love to take uh, to expand our work there. Um, you can just email me, lina, L-I-N-A, at livingwithpower.org. If you just have general questions about it, if you want to just email me and be like, man, you're wrong, here's what you're not thinking about, send them. Send me those questions. I, you know, I, I honestly, I, I mean, I am full of heart, but I'm also a logical person. And as I mentioned before, also bent towards conservatism. But in this issue, I just have not, um, I cannot justify any way that a Christian can ignore um, these people that are created in the image of God, who um, now God has put in our path, uh, not to feed just, not to heal just, but to 
uh, to lead to the Savior. That is, I believe, our greatest uh, privilege is to is to find someone who's never heard about Jesus. Never, I'm telling you, I'm talking to people who never knew. They'll tell us we never knew. And uh, they couldn't hear. In their Muslim country, they could not hear. One woman said to us, man, I'm glad for the war because that's how I found out about Jesus. And you hear those things and man, it stirs your heart for him. And if you're not stirred by these stories, then I would urge you to consider, do you know Jesus? Have you received him in your heart? Have you been changed by him? And if you have, then how is your life reflecting it? So let's pray together in this. In fact, I'm going to end with prayer here. God, we ask that you would do above and beyond what we can ask or think. We claim Ephesians 3.20 over this. And Lord, the verse I was going to share here is the verse from Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so, Father, that's the verse that comes to my mind when I think about the refugees. So give the refugees rest today, no matter where they're at. Help them to understand that their rest will come not just even from a house or from clothes or from a meal. Although, Father, how... How could they not want those things that are so essential to our life? And yet, God, that their true rest comes from you. And so, Father, raise up Americans, raise up Westerners, raise up people all over the world who know you and who are hungry to tell others about you. And God, please revive the church. Revive us to do the work that you've called us to do. Help us to shine so brightly, stepping away from politics, but dealing with those issues that everyone is talking about right now and bringing to them a perspective that it's biblical, that is Christian, and it is honoring to Jesus Christ the one who died for us and the one in whose name we serve. And I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Thank you for the boldness and the confidence to come into your presence. I pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, guys, a little on the long side today, but hey, hope it was worth it. You guys have a great day. Uh, again, email me, lena at livingwithpower.org. Talk to you soon.